your skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. We're so sorry, skeletons, you're so misunderstood. You only want to socialize. But I don't think we should. A spooky, scary skeleton shouts startling, shrilly screams. They'll sneak them, there's a couple of girls and just won't leave you be. Yeah. One more, one, one more for the road. Oh, oh. oh my god! That is, what? That's these are all road themed. Oh no! I wish. I, yeah, no. No, they're not. Not a single one of them. Any nope. roads? Not yeah, a, a mention of roads. Not even mentioned. I, now that I think about it, oh, you know this. Love I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and say that this is probably the first episode I actually had to kind of skim the stories. Okay. So I kind of know what we're doing tonight. Mm. I have. Mm. I I know most of the twists already. Can I ask? Demon of the turns. <laughs> Again, no roads. <laughs> no roads. No roads. I, I just want roads. <laughs> you guys said roads. It got me cool. Is there a man named Rhodes in one of those stories? Johnny even Rhodes. even that I could I could confirm that there there are no roads. The word road doesn't. I don't think it pops okay. up once. If it does, uh, we're gonna do a secret word kind of thing. You want a Pee Wee Herman? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna go. We've crazy. done we've done that in another episode. Yep. we've done that before. <laughs> there are episodes yeah. where it's just like someone's like, all right, that's the word of the episode whenever that pops up, and yeah, it just does. Anything with those four letters. I think it was. Uh, you know what they are. <laughs> I think it was somewhere in the forties. Harold Heavyhands. Okay. His last episode is like he just wanted stories with claws. Yeah, yeah. I heard he was like one. claws, and I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, you know, slashing with your claws. And you guys read the Santa Claus, so then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You listened to the episode, obviously. No. <laughs> it goes without <laughs> saying because it was about the different claws. That's. That's so the joke. Santa Claus. It was not Santa Claus. Oh. Those are the Christmas specials. <laughs> why would I why would I include those in the closets? In the I don't know. You know what they say? The way to hell is paved with good intentions. Again, no roads. Oh we don't do that yet. Okay. okay no, it's, it's in the story. It's what it's in the story. Anyone? Sure. Good to go. Strawberry shortcake ain't ain't possible. Alright, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> One for the street, I guess. Again, no roads. There's gonna be some roads. Nah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, now, now this is where we're episode. going. We don't need roads. We kill on the streets. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you done with that? Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope everyone is nice and. I hope everyone's good, including the the current listeners. I I hope everyone's feeling all right. This is lots of pasta. This is a podcast where we read and talk about. Creepypastas. And this episode isn't going to come out until, like, fucking February. It's November right now. <clears throat> Snow is mentioned in a couple of these stories, at least one of note. The and drug? I th- and I think... Th- <laughs> I could do a little bit of snow. A little bit of... Yeah. Call me, call me Snow White. Because I get kisses. So I get kisses <laughs> from cute men. The dwarves? That, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's Both a different story. You're yep. sleep Both you nailed yeah. it. Um, and I think I think that's what I'm getting at is uh, there's some snow that appears in some of these stories I think, and I think that's that's predictive of me because 
it is November right now, but when we listen to this and when this first hits the airlines, right. I guess it'll uh, it, there'll be snow on the ground, right? I mean, last February we were stuck in a fucking yeah. blizzard. Yeah, I'm, so. it's going to be the end of the world. So there's <laughs> nice. be snow on the ground. Nice, man. And the snow's well, going to be on fire. Well, great. Yep. Cheers. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So I'm here with uh, Django <clears throat> Phillips. Lil Scarfy. He's oh, J- uh, Django Phillips. Django, Django Phillips? Yeah. Okay. Django. The, okay. Can I do it really, really short? Sure. Django. Cool. And we also have Strawberry Shortcake back for his second episode. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good myself. Your first episode was 47, and we did some, some camp in good times. And I, I remember that, like, you're... You're the camp expert, you know. I mean, I'm not. I couldn't survive in the world. You're the camping expert. Yeah. And you... Strawberry grills. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 Uh, this, so, so this is 65, and the reason this is, like, an important episode to me is we started reading the search and rescue stories mm. at four. It yeah. is now 65, I think and we're, we are finishing them today. We were in middle school when I started, when we started this. Yeah, I barely knew, I barely knew you yeah. guys. I, I was, was 12. I was drumming with this guy. I had to get a ride here and, in the studio. And I did, you weren't in any of my classes in no. junior high. I wasn't in anybody's classes, really. You weren't? If you think about it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, we're, we're reading some more foresty creepos, and... We're going to conclude the episode with the last search and rescue stories. So this is important. This is good. And I kept, <laughs> I kept thinking, like, do I do this with, do I do this with Django? You know, we started it together. Django. Or do I, or do I let Strawberry Shortcake jump in on this? And I was like, the more the merrier, honestly. Yay. Um... Harold also wants to do an episode with you, so we'll. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I'm, I'm planning something for that. But um, before we get to any of the stories, before we like jump into forest stories, I did want like I, I keep forgetting to do something at the beginning of the episodes, and that's actually talk about like horror things going on. Yeah. And I just I watched Creep. Um, Mark Two Plus was fucking awesome. It's the slowest burn horror movie I have watched in a long time. It's on is, Netflix. Isn't the second one out? The second one is literally out right now. Okay. I yeah. haven't watched it yet. It's in my it's in my it's not on Netflix yet, but like it's in my queue. Yeah, Creep was really good. Um Creep was fucking it was great. Yeah. Really surprised me. Um someone on like Reddit pointed me to another movie that's also I, I'm queuing it up. It's called Yellow Brick Road. It has nothing to do with Wizard of Oz. It's literally just about a town that disappears. Um, I, I heard that's fucking What's awesome. What's it called? Yellow Brick Road. I, I'm getting eyebrows <laughs> from Django. So, yeah. Uh, roads. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. It only took it's us not like, in sto- It's it, not in know, story. It's it only took us like four minutes. This is what I'm saying. Even if the stories don't have roads in them, they're gonna have roads in them. Okay. And we're gonna love it. And we're, it's gonna be yeah. hilarious. God damn it. The eyebrows. They come back to me, like PTSD. Um, So, I watched 
Funhouse Massacre was really was really great. Uh, Robert Englund, the original Freddy, plays a asylum caretaker, and the killers get out one night. They fucking kill him. They kill Freddy, and they escape. And the way they blend in is they go down like they escape the town. They go through the woods and they come out at a carnival, and they all hide in the fucking haunted house in the carnival. So nice. then, so then customers and tourists start going to the the thing and they're like screaming at the special effects but like their friends are really getting stabbed like right in front yeah, of yeah. them and they have no fucking clue and it's it's kind of a dark comedy but it's also like a grindhouse horror flick right it was a really fun watch i watched before i wake which surprised me it was a tom jane horror flick um it's about a kid who, when he has, like, nightmares or when he dreams, like, they start to, like, happen in, like, the house that he's sleeping in. And, um, or, like, around his body, even. Like, a boogeyman starts mm-hmm. to pop up and shit. Really great effects. Um, really nice scares. Uh, lots of twists and turns did not end the way I thought it was going to. Also a good watch. I just, I've watched so many horror movies and I haven't talked about them on any of the last episodes. Okay. Um, cool. It's been a while since we've recorded, honestly. Uh, Don't Knock Twice. It's like a witch. It has kind of mama-ish effects, um, if you were into mama. Um, Okay. It's kind of like Drag Me to Hell, uh, which I thought is one of the better horror movies of the last couple years. A lot of Sam Raimi feels, but I feel like it's also like a British horror film, so that's why people might not have heard of it. It's Don't Knock Twice. It's pretty good as well. Cool. But anyway, I think that's, that's all of the horror I've... I've watched recently. I think you mentioned you watched uh, Silent Hill again. Yeah, it's okay. Before, <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah, I just I just feel like we we said it, you know, when we were eating, and it was just like best video game adaptation. Yeah. To hit theaters, uh, still even then, not a great movie, and um, I know you you agree. You you're the yeah. person I played most of the games. With. No, I agree. It's not great. Um, if we're if we're highlighting like. Under the radar horror movies. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that one about the haunted house. And the colors yeah. who was thinking haunted house. There's, so there's two. There's the houses that October built. I heard about that. Which is pretty good. Which is a fake documentary about uh, these these college friends go on a road trip and see a lot of different haunted houses, and they get more and more intense. And then obviously some stuff happens yeah. in the third. That's night. in my list. Somewhere. Yeah, I'm gonna make sure. And then the other one is a uh, kind of local, kind of cool. Um, it's called Hell House LLC. And that one's just focused on one um, haunted house, but it's the same kind of mockumentary style, found footage style. And the cool thing about that is that that is in the Waldorf Hotel, which is a haunted attraction right here in PA, about like an hour away. I heard about that on Reddit as well, yeah. and, I, and I thought that was really cool. You've watched both of these, or yeah. you've just heard of them? <clears throat> I've watched both of these. They're both worth watching. I'm adding them to my list. Do it. Do it. How about you? You watched anything creepy, creepo lately? Um... No. Nope. No. no. All right. That's that's fine. I just <laughs> right. I know you're, yeah. you're probably not as like into into, horror. into maintaining like horror. Not really you know? creepy y- year personally. round. <laughs> yeah. Not really creepy, but like post apocalyptic. Do you see that Cormac McCarthy movie, the one based on the book he wrote? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> Go ahead. You could say it. It's the road. The road. <laughs> it's the road. It's the road. Great. I actually love that movie. It's so depressing. Um, it is really good. Good book, too. I remember that being a quick read. Yeah, it is. 
Let's Any, anything else going? Let's fucking do it. I'm so ready. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, scarf. You want to hand, hand me that? Oh, cool. Scarf. Love scarf. Strawberry shortcake is going to start it off with this short little ditty that I Why found for him. Um, is it about Because Rome? he ruined... <laughs> he ruined the surprise of this episode of this uh, this story's title. It's called "Found the Bees." Oh fuck bees! <laughs> How do you All feel right. about bees, Strawberry Shortcake? Not a fan of he's bees. A, he's a pretty yeah. big fan. Yeah, I think in yeah. general, if I had to summarize it in two words, I'd say "fuck bees." <laughs> yeah. All right. You want to read "Found the Bees"? <laughs> this is from Unsettling Stories. Yeah, I love bees. I followed the sound of buzzing. The deeper into the woods I went, the louder the sound became. It was dark this far in. There were remnants of structures from industrial-era factories long neglected and choking with trees, vines, and countless other plants. Judging from the level of growth, no one had been here in a very, very long time. The buzzing persisted. It became hard to walk through the underbrush. I spotted, or rather felt, a swarm of insects. They flew by my ear, paying me no attention save for one. He flew into the back of my neck and instinctively stung me. I pulled his writhing body off my neck and studied him. It was a bumblebee, fat and covered with pollen. More streaked by. They were going in the direction of the sound. I walked on, feeling a strange sensation of diminished weight as I progressed. The steps became easier. I could leap through the brush with my incoming ease, so long as it was in the direction of the buzzing. My attempts to walk backward were met with more resistance than I would have considered normal. I realized the plants were pointing towards the sound of the buzzing, as if they'd grown that way. When I reached a clearing, there was an old dilapidated warehouse at the center. Despite the trees no longer blocking the sun, the light was dim. I stared into the buzzing sky and realized clouds of bees were pouring toward the warehouse. Countless thousands, countless millions, all flying toward the hole in the metal roof. Snowflakes of clumped pollen likely shed from the bees' bodies, blew across the clearing and accumulated around the edges of the warehouse. There was a distinct pull on me now, an undeniable force tugging me toward the structure. I didn't fight it. I reached the warehouse and looked around for an entrance. There were a few, but they were still locked from the inside. Near the back, I found a hole. It was small, but large enough for me to fit through. I was covered in pollen from head to toe, the cloying particulate matter forcing sneeze after sneeze out of me. Tears ran down my cheeks. The buzzing was bordering on overwhelming. I had entered into a closet or maintenance area, so I still couldn't see what was happening. I opened the door and the force pulled the knob from my hand and the door slammed backward into the wall, but I didn't notice a slam, nor would I have cared if I did. At the center of the warehouse, there was a tiny black dot. I felt disoriented looking at it, and I had to hold onto the door frame to keep my footing. The light around it shimmered, and bees poured into it. It was a ceaseless torrent of bees, all disappearing inside. It made no sense. None of it. I would have stayed longer, but I noticed something happening in the area around the dot. More light shimmered. Part of me thought it was a black hole, but I quickly dismissed such a ridiculous idea. But I couldn't figure it out. Until I did. The light shimmered again, and a colossal veiny eye opened above the dot. Then another one. Its face came into view, showing the dot's nature. A mouth. The eyes glared at me as it inhaled more and more bees and pollen. I turned and ran, fighting against the terrible suction until it was out of the clearing and far away. The bees never stopped flying toward the warehouse. Was it a bee? No. What was it? What was it the was thing? It was like a bee. It was like a thing. It was either them feeding on something, like a body, 
and the and the thing couldn't like scream. But I got a much more I don't know. There was a lot more like animosity in my interpretation of it. So like I felt like it was something controlling the bees or calling to the bees. Oh, I think that's true. I just thought it was a big bee, eating little bees. No, it had it had human eyes. Oh, okay, mouth. all right. That's fucked. Right. Why is it eating bees? Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. It just mentioned that it opened its mouth. Okay, so this one's interesting. Is it bees? Django's gonna read this one. Django. Uh, this one is called Where the Snow Isn't Cold. And this one's actually from Creepypasta. And I feel like I haven't read, like, an actual Creepypasta in months. So... Fucking sweet. This one should be, should be good. You know the old saying, the one that starts with, A good day at the cabin begins with a sunrise? Well, that is very much true, but what is a bad day, some ask? That's being woken up in the dead of night by banging shutters and vibrating windows. I groaned in retaliation after being woke up from my hibernation and shoved a pillow over my head, hoping to drown out the noise. To my disappointment, the banging only seemed to grow louder. You have got to be kidding me. I sighed wearily, rolling out of bed and catching a glimpse of my surroundings. The family cabin had two floors. I usually slept in the first floor in a smaller bedroom connected to the main room which was basically a large open area made up of a small kitchen and family room. The family room had a small wood stove nestled in the far corner, with two larger homemade sofas and coffee table huddled around it. Just behind the sofas and under the staircase were a couple of bookshelves stocked with board games. The best part, I think, was that nearly everything in the cabin was made here on the island. Originally, it was planned to have all the materials shipped out here, but the pricing was outrageous, so my parents agreed it would make the place feel homier to just gather the materials and build everything on our own. Above the family room was the landing that led to the guest and master bedrooms. My son Benjamin usually slept in the guest bedroom, leaving my wife Kathy with the master. Why the separate rooms, a lot of people ask. Well, let's just say that she got fed up with the loud snoring and bedtime shenanigans that came with sharing a bed with me. Now she gets to sleep in the largest room with the 10,000. 10, <laughs> now she gets to sleep in the largest room with the 10-foot screened-in window looking out over the lake. Women. It would have been a big window, though. 10,000-foot screen-in window <laughs> yeah. with bees. <laughs> I yawned loudly, stretching as I made my way out to the living room and stopped abruptly in front of the stove. Something was definitely off, and I just couldn't put my finger on it. I rubbed my chin while I racked my brain for an answer. It took me a good 30 seconds to realize we never leave the wood stove on at night due to the potential fire hazard. I grumbled in protest as I got down on my knees to close the damper and was just about to grab it when the windows began to shake violently. This time, however, I felt a cool breeze coming from an open window at the bottom of the stairs. Frustrated, I stormed over to the window and slammed it shut with a heavy sigh. Who leaves the window open in the middle of winter? I grumbled. My frustration was short-lived as my brain finally began to wake up. Winter? I gasped. I lumbered over to my personal chair in front of the still-burning stove and plopped down as another thought dawned on me. I had no recollection of how I even got here. I mean, I do vaguely remember packing my bags, but the whole trip is a blur. Who just up and forgets a whole trip to Canada? Even though I was going to regret doing so, I decided to head upstairs and wake Kathy. Who knows? Maybe I'll get lucky and she'll be in a good mood. Yeah, no, this is a horrible idea. I grumbled to myself. I tiptoed up the stairs as to not wake my son, and slowly crept in the master bedroom. It was dark, but I did get a sliver of light from the stove downstairs. Kathy? I whispered. You awake? I was met with silence, and then a howl as the wind danced across the main window. I called out one more time and still nothing. She was always a deep sleeper, but not that deep, I reminded myself. 
I then decided to sliver my way through the covers, only to find myself kneeling on an empty bed with covers draped over me like a ghost. Where is she? I asked myself, beginning to panic a little. I hopped out of bed and darted over to Benjamin's room, only to find that his bed was empty too. Benjamin? Kathy? I called out frantically with no response. I bolted down the stairs, taking two steps at a time, grabbing my coat and jumping into my snow boots once I hit the bottom floor. I grabbed the first lantern I could find, the electric one, and I just turned it on when I heard something behind the cabin. I stopped what I was doing and tried to listen past the piercing wind, rattling windows and banging shutter. I sighed to myself when I realized it was just the wind, and hurried out the front door under the screened-in porch. I stopped to observe my surroundings, but it was like I had just got sucked into a black hole. To make matters worse, the lantern wasn't all that bright, so it only lit up a small area of roughly ten feet before being swallowed whole by the darkness. The one upside about it, being winter though, was that the snow reflected the light once it passed over it, giving me a couple more feet of vision. I took my stocking cap from my coat pocket and just shoved it on my head when I heard the noise again. I stood like a statue, trying to listen past all the white noise around me. My hairs immediately came to life once I recognized the noise between the wind gusts. Someone was crying. I mentally smacked myself for being so dumb. Kathy must have taken Benjamin to the outhouse behind the cabin. They were both always too afraid to go outside in the dark alone, so they often woke each other up in the dead of the night when they had to go. No complaints here. I chuckled at myself for getting so worked up. I held my lantern out in front of me as I made my way out of the porch and onto the trail that rounds around the cabin to the outhouse. It took maybe four steps, then froze, as I stared at the path covered in snow, with no signs of anyone having made their way through. Maybe all the wind and snow covered their tracks, I reasoned, staring at the blank canvas of snow under my lamp. Before I could ponder about it too much, I heard another lament, muffled by the sound of the wind, coming from atop the nearby hill. Kathy? I bellow against the wind. Benjamin, where are you guys? This isn't funny. I listened carefully for an actual response, but was met only by the sound of whimpering and shudders. Yeah, things were getting pretty creepy now. Well, I'm not getting anywhere standing around. I told myself sarcastically as I made my way up the hill and into the dark abyss of the forest. Starting to panic a bit, I picked up my pace to a hard jog. Just as I thought I was making good progress, my left foot got stuck on a tree root, sending me soaring into a tree. My shoulders smashed against the trunk, causing the lantern to fly off somewhere into the darkness. Then I fell face first into the snow. I cringed on impact, expecting the frozen bite, but was startled after lying the mound for a few seconds and realizing the snow wasn't cold. I hastily got to my feet, running and snatching at the lantern. Kathy! I screamed between gasps of air as I finally made it to the top of the hill. I waited expectantly this time, but only hearing the shutters slamming continuously, almost mocking me. What the hell is going on? I seethed looking around to find no signs of my wife or son. Am I losing my mind? I dropped to my knees in defeat, ripping off my winter cap and throwing it into the snow. Clutching my hair in frustration, I watched as the snow from the force of my throw puffed into the air and zigzagged its way to, towards the ground abnormally slow. It's all just a dream. I chuckled, hoping that I wasn't going totally batshit crazy. With some newfound hope, I picked up my cap and closed my eyes. Wake up! I pleaded, pinching my arm. When I opened my eyes, the woods and banging were gone, and I was now standing in my living room back home. Yes! I boomed, throwing my fist in the sky in victory. My celebratory routine was short-lived once I realized something very odd. I awoke standing up. I turned around at the sound of footsteps fast approaching, and the entire room seemed to darken, as another me rounded the corner from the kitchen with two bags of luggage and Benjamin in tow, Kathy hot on her heels. Rick! Please wait! She begged sounding almost as if we were underwater. We're both drunk and I didn't mean to. Kathy, just stop it. Rick demanded, cutting her off and dropping the luggage he was carrying. 
no matter what you say or how many times you explain yourselves, it will never justify what you did to me or Benjamin. Don't you understand? You betrayed us and everything we had. Just for what? Sex? We are leaving now. But what about Mommy? Benjamin whined, dropping his backpack and hugging her legs. Why can't you come, Mom? He finished in tears. I don't think the mom has any trouble coming. Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Wow. Because <laughs> Mommy did something bad, sweetie. She crooned, gently resting one hand on his cheek. <clears throat> she moved over to a dresser by the entryway and grabbed his favorite stuffed raft. Mr. Artichoke! You fixed him. Benjamin exclaimed, rubbing his face against the drafts. I love you, Mom. He stated, hugging her waist. Everything seemed to freeze as though all the walls began to fade and dissolve back into the dark void of the woods. I remember now. I muttered, my expression blank. That's why I can't find her, because she isn't even here. I finished with a long, heavy sigh. I spun around and quickly but carefully made my way down the cabin, expertly winding my way through the trees. Once I hit the bottom of the hill, my anger hit its peak, and all it took was one bang of the shutters to send me off the deep end. What started as a low growl turned into a battle cry as I hurled myself at the shutters, grabbing them and ripping them off their hinges with a great heave, sending them spiraling through the air to be engulfed by the darkness. Finally, quiet. I snickered through gulps of air and recomposed. Benjamin? I called out, desperately now hoping for a miracle. Benjamin, you there? With still no reply, I reluctantly trugged my way back to the front of the cabin and began to tear up. Still sobbing, I made my way over to the front steps and plopped down. I remained that way for a few minutes before coming to my senses again. I then looked to the sky and let out a small croak. There was no stars, no sign of the moon, nothing but darkness. I shook my head, now numb to everything around me. I wandered over towards our fishing shack, which is located on a small deck that looked out into the lake. As I approached the deck, my gaze shifted to the 15-foot-tall sculpture I had carved for my son using trees around the cabin. His name was Brocky. Brocky the dinosaur was a replica of a Brachiosaurus. Why build a sculpture so big? Aren't you supposed to be relaxing at the cabin? A lot of people ask. Well, my son loved dinosaurs so much, I decided I would cut down a few trees and surprise him. Of course, he decided it would be best to have them look out over the lake so that he could see us approaching coming from the north. What happened to our family, Brocky? <laughs> I sniffled as I rested my hand on his side following his gaze into the nothingness. And now I am talking to lifeless objects. No offense, Brocky. Brocky. <laughs> No offense, Brochi. No offense, Brocky. I finished sarcastically patting his side and looking in the ground with a sigh. I stared off into the snow, deep in thought for a few minutes before realizing I was staring at a trail of footprints leading off into the darkness. With my hopes renewed, I called out for my son. Benjamin! I bellowed. Benjamin, it's your father. Where are you? I called out one last time as I approached the lake, stopping just at the shoreline. The footprints kept going further in the dark and onto the snow-covered lake. Where is he going? I asked myself as I tested the ice to make sure it was safe. Once I verified it was okay, I began my trek through the not-so-cold snow, pondering what we could have done differently. What did Benjamin or I do to deserve such a betrayal from the one we loved the most? What kind of monster could do such a thing? My mental investigation was cut short once I noticed something on the edge of my bubble of light. I stopped and observed the tracks as they looped around the figure. I squinted my eyes and gave it a few looks over before establishing that it was indeed another person. Benjamin! I exclaimed, running over to him. I've been looking everywhere for you. You can't just run off in the dead of night like... I slid to a stop, barely a foot away from the person sitting in a chair, fishing. 
He wore a red flannel coat hood up and was bobbing his fishing pole up and down trying to bait a fish. I'm sorry to bother you, sir. I apologize, my heart dropping. I'm looking for my son. He's got black hair and is about this tall. I motioned with my hand and waited for him to respond, but after 30 seconds of waiting, I got really impatient. Excuse me, sir, are you listening to me? I'm missing my son. Have you seen him or talked to him at all? I begged, only to be answered with silence. Why aren't you listening? I yelled, shoving him from behind as hard as I could. The man didn't even budge, let alone finch. He just kept fishing away. What the hell? I stammered. I circled slowly, now trying to catch a glimpse of his face. I brought the lantern close to my face and leaned in to peer past his hood. I slowly reached up to pull his hood back, not taking my eyes off of his hands as he fished on. One second he was staring forward, and then with a loud, ear-piercing screech, his head jerked towards me so that we were briefly face to face. I fell backwards in horror, dropping my lantern and landing on my hands. I scuttled back, trying to inch away from the faceless figure. I could hear its joints creaking as it jolted to its feet. I scuffled over to my lantern, snatched it up, and faced the mysterious figure yet again. Stay back, I demanded, throwing my arm out in defense. Without removing its empty gaze from mine, it leaned over, gathering its pole and tackle box, and rigidly marched back towards the cabin. Not taking my eye off the faceless man, I launched to my feet. Benjamin. I screamed over the wind, no longer hiding the fear in my voice. Benjamin, please answer me. I begged, running as far from the cabin as I could. This time I got a response. Dad! Came a panic call somewhere ahead of me. A wave of energy rushed over me as I sprinted towards the sound of my son's voice. I slipped and almost fell a couple times in my haste. I slid to a dead stop, just barely maintaining my balance and throwing every single curse word I could think of at the sight before me. Some way, somehow, I ended up behind my cabin just beyond the outhouse. I shook my head in disbelief. All my hopes for finding my son and leaving were whisked away into the dark chasm that was now consuming my mind. I growled in frustration, smashing the lantern into the nearest tree I could find. And just like that, I was stranded in the dark, demented wonderland that was once my favorite place of peace. Once soothing thoughts of home and family were now being demolished by sinister feelings of brokenness and angst. I fell to my knees and bawled like a child who had just lost his puppy. Wake up! I howled into the darkness, smashing my fists into the ground. There was a brief moment of pain, but as soon as it was felt, it was gone. I looked down at my hands, observing them to make sure I didn't break anything. Wait a second. I uttered in shock at seeing my hands under the soft glow of a light. I whipped around, my sanity returning briefly at the sight of my son, holding out his dimly lit, fish-shaped lantern. Daddy, I can't find Mom. He sniffled. I quickly shuffled over to him and embraced him. It's alright, Benny Bear. Dad's here. <laughs> I wept, clutching him tightly to my chest. Where have you been? I've been searching everywhere for you. I chuckled, holding him at arm's length to check for any injuries. I followed the robot man to the fishing spot, but he was boring, so when I heard Mom, I went to the woods with my light to find her. Did you find Mom, Dad? He asked. I sighed, dreading the topic. I opened my mouth to speak, but stopped myself. Hey, Benjamin, let me borrow your light for a second. I asked, reaching to him. He reluctantly handed it over, following my gaze to the tree I had just abused. What's wrong with the tree, Dad? Why is it all shiny in that spot? He asked, pointing to a large spot on the tree. I didn't answer right away. How could I? I just stared in utter disbelief at what I was seeing. I took my son's hand, leading him over to the front porch, dragging my feet the entire way. I knew when I first awoke that something was off about the cabin, but how was it possible to end up here of all places? As we both took a seat in our favorite chairs on the porch, I began contemplating every explanation, every theory I could muster up. Every time, however, no matter what the angle, no matter what angle I looked from, no matter how many revolutions the cogs in my head made, 
They all ended at that one possibility. After spending a few hours in deep thought, I sighed heavily as tears rolled down my cheeks and pushed the hair from my son's face while he slept. Come on, bud. I grunted as I cradled him and carried him to my bed. I just tucked him in when I heard voices behind me coming from outside the cabin. I quickly exited the cabin and planted myself in one of the lounge chairs on our deck looking out over the lake. Too bad it was too dark to really see anything. The voices were familiar. It took me a little while to recognize them, and once I did, a switch went off inside me. Images began forming as I focused more and more on their words. The local police are still investigating the scene. I remembered holding Benjamin's hand as we looked out over the landscape. So far, they can only confirm two deceased individuals. We moved closer to the cliff edge to peer down in a pair of looms. Police are still on scene looking for any evidence as to what may have happened. I cried out in terror as my son tumbled down the face of the cliff. A fisherman found the bodies floating by the dock of a nearby cabin, apparently belonging to the victims. Without thinking, I cried out, diving headfirst into the lake 40 feet below. Kathy swore herself as she wiped away tears with her shirt sleeve. She had grown too attached to Rick and Benjamin, and even contemplated on actually starting a family of her own with them. Even though Benjamin wasn't actually her son, she always felt some strange connection to the little brat. Heck, from day one, he constantly thought she was his real mother. She rubbed her temples, hoping to relax a little, but all that disappeared with the new headline on the local news station. Missing father and child found dead, scrolled across the bottom of the television screen. She stared blankly at the screen, tuning out the discussions the reporters were having in the background. The memory was clear as day as she played it over and over in her head, and every time her stomach did a little somersault. She peered greedily through the thick foliage as Benjamin and Rick got closer to the cliff's edge. As luck would have it, the loon's calls masked the sound of her leaving her hiding spot. She slithered up behind him, her blank expression slowly creeping into a wicked smirk before she shoved Benjamin over the edge. She watched as Rick helplessly dove in after his son, without even so much as glancing to see why he fell. Kathy snickered at her own brilliance and that man's stupidity. After four years of planning, she finally accomplished what she came to her to do, marry Rick, and once she was added to his will, find a way to collect the insurance money. She cackled as she pictured the scene of both Rick and Benjamin floating lifelessly in the lake. Her heart pounded excitedly at the thought of finally finishing what she started, but at a price. The cameras panned around the area on top of the cliff before switching to an officer who stated they had found an earring at the crime scene. She was dumb not fully to inspect the scene before leaving. Now she ran the risk of being caught. It was only a matter of time before they found out she wore the damn things every day. It looked like there would be no waiting around for life insurance this time. She took one last chug from a wine bottle before whipping it in frustration, shattering the television screen. Time to clean this place out, she thought to herself as she ran up the stairs to begin packing. Once she collected all the valuables in the house, it was time to find a souvenir. She had one from every house she destroyed. <clears throat> Having them helped to remind her that she could do what it took to finish a job. Because of the significance, the item had to be special. Unique. That's it! She exclaimed, rushing to the china cabinet at the back of the living room. She flung open the doors, immediately finding what she was looking for on the top shelf. After their wedding, Rick, being a mechanical engineer and experienced crafter, had decided to make something special for her and Benjamin. It was what he called a waterless snow globe. It was half the size of a basketball and had special fans built in the lower half designed to constantly blow the snow around. In the center was his family cabin that he inherited a few years before they met. Everything was crafted in amazing detail. The trees, the outhouse, the deck, and rocks. To add to the effect, everything in the cabin was an individual piece. The beds and furniture had real material on them. Sitting on the kitchen counter were two real working lanterns, which stored energy through magnets or something weird like that. He even had one of those lights to the wood stove to keep the house lit up at all times. 
Lastly, he constructed a tiny fisherman to walk to and from the cabin to give off the impression that he was fishing. There was no doubt that this was the most unique piece in the entire house. She was just about to shove the globe into a bag when something else caught her eye inside the snow globe. Sitting in one of the lounge chairs on the deck, looking out on the frozen wasteland, was a small figurine of Rick. When did he add that? She asked herself, puzzled. She just shrugged it off, nonchalantly tossing the globe into her bag. She gave the house a good once-over and realized how quiet things were without the other two there. Wherever they are... I'm sure they're in a better place, she reasoned, just as she opened the front door and stepped out in a large pile of snow. I bet they don't have to deal with the snow, either. But they do have to deal with the snow. The bitch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was kind of like a Twilight Zone episode. That took two different twists. Yeah. I was like, oh, he killed both of them. And then I was like, oh, it was an accident. What a tragedy. And then it was like, no, insurance money. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know why I'm not surprised by uh, creepypasta, like original creepypasta's somewhat ability to sound kind of like a soap opera. Um, But at the same time, it's just like, my expectations shouldn't be so high. (laughs) I didn't hate it. Again, I just thought it it sounded like a little bit of a, like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. What do you think, Starry Short Kick? How'd you feel about playing uh, Rick? It felt pretty good. I felt like I got into the character well enough. <laughs> you felt the emotions of losing a child. Yes, Benjamin. Yeah. Um, Benny boy. My Benny bear. Benny bear. This is uh, another un- This is another unsettling story for you to read. I'm not reading yet. This one's for you. Okay. This next one. It's called Why I Don't Hike Anymore. Okay. I thought I thought you would like to read this. Because of the bees. It's a uh, yeah. It's because of the bees. It's also from Unsettling Stories. So again, they're they're all about bugs. They're all about like body mutilation and shit. They're, cool. Yeah. Like bees. Like bees. Why I don't hike anymore? I don't want to write about this. I'll try to keep it short. My doctor suggested I put it down on paper though, so he can have a better idea of how everything happened. He'd never seen such a thing in his 30 years of practicing medicine, and he actually wants to talk about my case at an ENT conference next summer. So why am I posting the story here? Because if I have to suffer through writing it, you might as well suffer through reading it. Yeah, I'm a prick. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a prick. I'd always been an avid outdoorsman. Hiking was my thing. After my divorce, I did what I thought I had to do. Quit my job and hiked the whole Appalachian Trail. You know how your coaches always used to say, walk it off after a bad hit? Well, after being sodomized by the vicious cock of alimony, yeah, I needed the longest walk I could think of. So off I went. I fucking love your character already. Yeah, you into this? No. (laughs) This guy sounds like an asshole. (laughs) It was March when I started, and I was pretty damn cold for a while, but I knew it would warm up... I knew it'd warm up as the hike progressed. Contrary to the wishes of my friends, I'd insisted on going alone. I was an experienced hiker. No, I hadn't gone such a great distance before, but I was definitely in good physical shape, and I knew quite a bit from outdoorsy stuff from spending time in the woods with my father before he died. To be honest, the first six weeks bored the living shit out of me. Yes, the scenery is beautiful. Yes, the feeling of accomplishment I expected to experience at the end of it would all be miserable. Memorable. (laughs) Miserable. It was miserable. I hate hiking. Have I ever mentioned that? (laughs) (laughs) I 
changes the sentence completely. <laughs> on, I gotta get back into character. Still, think about your divorce. <laughs> think I about that like vicious cock of alimony. Sodomized by the vicious cock of alimony. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, the first six weeks bored the living shit out of me. Yes, the scenery is beautiful. Yes, the feeling of accomplishment I expected to experience at the end of it all would be memorable. Still, it sucked. I found myself walking faster and faster, hoping just to finish a day or so earlier so I wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. On cue, when my boredom had reached its peak, I got an awful cold. It was a nightmare. It seemed like every ten steps I had to stop, pick up an old leaf, and blow a gallon of snot out of me. For those who are laughing at me right now and saying I'm stupid for not just blowing out snot rockets, hey. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I'm glad I could give you something to laugh at. But the reality of the situation was that the shit up my nose was like rubber cement. The one time I tried to blow without a leaf, I got a trail of yellow slime going from my left nostril to my knee. So thanks for laughing, but fuck off. Anyway, as the days went by and I had Hansel and Gretel in the forest with mucusy leaves, I started to get concerned that my cold hadn't gotten any better. Quite the contrary. My sinuses were packed with snot. And I mean, packed. You know when you're in bed and you put your head on one side and you can feel your sinuses drain a little and get some relief? There was no relief. And every few minutes, I was blowing progressively thicker goo onto anything unfortunate enough to get within my reach. There was one morning early in May, after I'd been sick for two straight weeks, that I knew I needed to hop off the trail and find a local clinic. I was fairly sure I had, si had a sinus infection, and it was se severely affecting the amount of walking I wanted to do every day. I took a turn off the trail and in the general direction of a town. The map indicated I'd be off the trail for almost a day. It wasn't the ideal situation, but I really wanted to get some antibiotics. The way out was through. A few miles in, though, the pressure in my sinuses turned into blinding pain. I had to sit down and rest. There was no way I'd be able to get to town before dark at the rate I was going. I did my best to blow out the horrible contents of my nose, which was now dark yellow and as vis viscous as chewing gum. I used my fingers to pull out as much as I could. There was almost no relief, though. Most of it was deep in my sinuses, and no amount of picking or blowing was going to get it out. I wandered over to a small stream to wash my disgusting hands. As I pulled the slime off my fingers, I caught sight of something that caused me to gasp. I looked under my index fingernail. Buried inside the compacted dirt and snot was the unmistakable segmented body of a white worm. Now I was really, really freaking out. I dragged the piece out from under my nail and inspected it. It wasn't a whole worm. It looked like my fingernail had broken off either the front or back end of the thing. The pressure in my sinuses only intensified as my panic grew. I told myself the piece of worm had to have been under my nail before it picked my nose. It was futile consolation. Every night for the last couple nights, I'd heard what I thought was the moving and settling of my sinus contents. Now I knew. I'd heard them moving around, and that realization was where I lost it. Rather than trying to blow it out, I snorted the contents backwards, trying to get them into my throat so I could spit them out. After a couple powerful snorts, I felt something hit the back of my throat. I spit it onto the ground. On the broken pine needles, a fat white worm half the size of my pinky, twice the size of my cack, wriggled in yellow snot. I screamed. Over and over, I tried to spit more of them out. Only one came. With the slightly diminished sinus pressure, I could feel them for what they were. This was the first time they'd been able to make any significant movement, 
because they'd been so tightly packed together. But now they wandered. I felt their thick bodies crawling around my, behind my nose and under my eyes. I started to hyperventilate when I felt one start to slither down into my nostril. I scratched and pulled at it with my fingers, but it wouldn't budge. It just sat there, writhing. The sensation was indescribably horrific, and I needed the fucking thing out of me. I squeezed my nostrils together with my hand as hard as I could. I felt the worm burst inside and a torrent of gray sludge poured out of its destroyed body. Now deflated, I could pull its body all the way out. It was almost three inches long. It slapped on the forest floor like a used condom. While the terror I felt was immeasurable, having expelled three worms from my sinuses gave me more relief from the pressure than I could have imagined. I could still feel others slithering, slithering inside me though, but my breathing was much, much better. I started to run toward town. I didn't stop until I got there. There isn't much else to say. I got to the main road! Part of me knew if it was gonna be in any of them, of course it would be the one I didn't fucking skin. Which is why I was going on like an 80% chance, but I was fucking wrong. I was fucking wrong. There are roads in this one. Yeah. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. <sighs> I got to the main road. Yeah. And a kind soul let me hitch a ride to the clinic in the back of his pickup. The local doctor was pretty surprised, but he didn't seem to think that I was in any danger. He asked where I lived, did a little research, and found a highly accomplished ear, nose, and throat specialist only a couple miles from my house. Later that night, I was on a plane back home. The pressure change inside the airplane wreaked havoc on my sinuses. So it felt like the worms inside were throwing a party, but I managed to stay somewhat composed. The guy next to me didn't particularly like how I kept snorting up phlegm and spitting it into the puke bag. <coughs> Sorry, worms. The next morning, I met with the ENT guy. He did a whole bunch of stuff with small cameras that made me gag, and he made a lot of sounds like he was absolutely fascinated by what was in me. After he pulled seven of the things out of me, and warned that there are probably eggs inside that I'll need to get dealt with sooner or later, he tried to figure out how they'd gotten there. It only took about 20 minutes before he concluded I'd gotten their eggs in my nose from one of the leaves I've used as a tissue when I first got the cold. Lovely. So that's that. Over the next couple weeks, he did some stuff to clean out my sinuses, and gave me some pills he said would kill anything else that might be up there. Last week, he asked me to write this shit, so he could share it with his EMT buddies, who were really jealous he's gotten to treat such a cool case. Well, hi guys. Every time I blow my nose, I expect to see a fat worm looking up at me from the tissue, asking why I evicted it from its home. Have a great conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 How do you feel about that one? I liked it. There was a road. Oh, there was a road. Such a fucking cool part of the story. So <laughs> many people, I, I've noticed this, so many people in creepypastas and on online horror don't have the balls but roads in their stories. Yeah. And I feel like when an author says, you know what, fuck the world, fuck the paradise, fuck being PC, you know, mm -hmm. and they lay it all out there, they put roads in their stories. That's what, that's, ah. Uh, that's what makes a good one for you. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, that bees one fucking sucked because there was yeah. no roads in it. Fuck there bees. Fuck roads and no. globes. <laughs> fuck globes. No, fuck domes. <laughs> globes. Fuck bees. fuck bees and globes. All right. Are globes bad? Yeah. So this one is from a new source. This one's com completely new source. Found it. Word. I think it's called Too Spooky. 
That's what I wrote down. We... So apparently if you Google too spooky, uh, these guys wrote this story. For sure we want to read it? Is it too spooky? It, it's probably going to be a little spooky. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one's called The How Wolf. fast is it? Is it too fast, too spooky? <laughs> too fast, too spookalous. Uh, this one's called The Woods Are Black. Uh, now, now, now that I... Now that I say it, I just think like Kung Pao, like, The Woods Are Black. And like, now it sounds stupid. Uh, it's from Too Spooky. Here's how we're going to do this. I'm reading this one. You guys can take like a little bit of a break. I know that yours was really long. <laughs> And no, you've fine. been reading a lot, but okay. um, you're gonna read stuff that is underlined, and stuff that is also read. Okay, so you're gonna read what's already read. As Captain Death reads, you're gonna okay. read. No, 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 I'm gonna. If you read it, I read it. It's if it's been read. As soon as he reads it, read it. Yeah, no, that's it's red. No, once you read it, it's red. The color. Okay, the color. Here's one of the things. Can we pick a different color? You need a different color. <laughs> Hold on, am I doing everything that's underlined? Yeah, everything that's underlined. Okay, but <laughs> some of the stuff is red. Is it the non-italics? I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain. Okay, because I'm not good at red. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. colorblind, so I might get them. Are you really? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know you were colorblind. No, so... they're underlined. Oh, they're <laughs> read they're the underlined. Under- shit. I'll notice. I'll notice it's me, but I might get the character wrong. That okay. <laughs> oh right. Understandable. Um, yeah. I'll I'll guess. No, no, no. Here's what I can do. This one's really good. I like this one. It is a little spooky. I will say that. So I'm glad that I got this from a site that's called Too Spooky. Too Spooks. Too Spooks. Raise the brand. You are uh, bold. Okay. Anything that's bold. Well, I am bold. But also... You are bold. Okay. You are bold. And I'm underlined. And you are underlined. You're red. (laughs) Blue now. Blue now. You are blue. Aww. I am blue. Tabati tabati. <laughs> so this is called The Woods Are Black from Too Spooky. It was around dusk when the family van arrived at the lake. By that time, my sister and I were going stir crazy. Car bingo had turned to punch buggy, which slowly descended into random and unannounced slaps across the face. Despite mom's displeasure, neither of us wanted to be the first to admit defeat. Dad didn't want any part of the chaos. He steered that old rusty tank with a detached thousand-yard stare of some shell-shocked veteran. If not for the occasional cigarette lit and clasped between gnashing teeth, we could have taken him for a stiffened corpse that died of aggravation somewhere around Raleigh. Raleigh? Raleigh. 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 Home again, home again, jiggity-dig. Mom sang as we caught sight of the lake house. It was a bit of a tradition, though, only in her mind. Sis and I were out of the van before it stopped rolling. Dad had suddenly sprung to life, growling out a stern that slowed our pace. Still, we regretted nothing. The lake glittered orange in the light of a beautiful sunset. Tall old pines lined the horizon, giving the impression that this body of water belonged to us. It was our hidden spot holy ground upon which no other would dare tread. The first thing I did was check the old picnic table beside the water. The thing was buggy and and weather-beaten, something no upstanding family would actually use. However, it served a new purpose as a sort of logbook for teens like me. Sure, it felt like this was our spot, but of course there were others at different points during the summer. 
Tucker was still etched into the gray wood, accompanied by the usual kiss and yuck-fu I had puzzled over in my earlier days. A couple new messages included Nin with the second N reverse, and Polly plus May. Sis was less interested in the archaic communication system. She'd secretly worn a bathing suit under her clothes and was in the water within seconds. No swimming! Dad bellowed, hauling bags from the van's sliding door. Get your stuff in the house! He shot me a harsh gaze, and within moments I found a suitcase in my hands, my feet pumping up the walkway, and front steps as if they'd become completely autonomous. I wasn't gonna go swimming yet. I insisted. Polly bought a girl here, how come I can't bring any friends? The answer never came. Mom swung the front door open as Dad and I looked on. The folks who had been there before us hadn't even locked it. We walked in cautiously, though none of us was probably sure why. This is some shit, Dad mumbled, hearing him curse was rare, but it happened. We looked around the living room, staring quizzically at the luggage and clothing strewn about. Not only had previous occupants left the door open, it looked like they were still staying there. Linda must have gotten the dates mixed up, Mom offered. Or did we? I took the opportunity to drop my bag to the floor. Mom did the same, though. Dad just stood there, luggage in hand, working his jaw back and forth in the way that told us he was pissed. Dad walked around the side of the house and found a station wagon covered in pine needles and berry-laden bird shit. The four of us sat outside and waited for the others. Mom figured they must have gone hiking, while Sis gleefully insisted an escaped cannibal had eaten them. Dad supposed that there were no cannibals around those parts, though he could believe there were maybe one or two sexual predators. Eventually, Sis and I started walking the lakeshore to see if there was any sign of footprints or even a boat out on the water. What if they're dead? Sis asked, absently kicking a stone into the lake. They're not. I snapped back. Don't be such a freak. What if they're dead and gross and all like... She clawed at her face and lolled her tongue out. <laughs> I stopped about halfway through our trek and peered off into the tree line. What? Sis asked. What is it? The sun was rapidly disappearing, taking with it any sliver of light needed to penetrate the leafy barrier. I reached for the flashlight Sis had taken, then yanked it away from her when she jokingly refused to let it go. The flashlight beam shone bright due to fresh batteries. I cast it into the forest and aimed for a single tree that had caught my attention. The woods are black and I can't turn back. I narrowed my eyes and read the letters carved into the bark. Wow! Sis's eyes widened as she stepped closer to me. Okay, that's actually spooky. I took a few steps toward the trees before I felt Sis's hand clasp down on my shoulder. Brushing her off, I straddled a tall, wild shrub and awkwardly launched myself into the underbrush. What are you doing? Sis called after me. Just checking it out. Jesus, stop being such a girl. The blood-red sap around the crude letters had hardened over. The etching wasn't fresh. I broke off a glistening droplet and squeezed the sticky mass between my fingers. The whole thing seemed odd, but for some reason I didn't find it particularly frightening. My foot came down on something hard. When I angled the flashlight downward, a ray of light shot back into my eyes. I'd found a knife. Probably the knife used to carve that tree. Its blade was a bit rusted and the green plastic handle was sun-faded, but it still seemed sharp. I picked the thing up and sliced a section of bark, bringing forth one more of crimson sap. Look. I tossed the blade towards Sissa's feet, at which she jumped out of the way. 
Watch it. You'll give me AIDS or something. She squealed. You already have it, sleaze. I retorted cruelly. Wait I, here. I want to see something. I don't have AIDS. Sis screamed angrily as I disappeared into the trees. You take that back. Do you hear me? I didn't intend on going far into the forest, figuring I'd find something interesting mere feet away from the lakeshore. When I saw nothing of interest, I figured it couldn't hurt to go a few more feet, then a few more. Eventually, Sis's occasional shouts were soft and distant. When I almost couldn't make out her voice through the chirp of crickets and whirring of cicadas, I came across another landmark. The woods are black. I read off another carved tree. And I can't turn back. At that point, fear caught up with my pig-headed need for adventure. It wasn't so much the sight of another identical message as the fact it wasn't entirely identical. The letters were carved more carefully. They were carved a bit not angular and shallow like the previous instance. I turned back at that point, no longer hearing Sis at all. The sound of scraping stopped me in my tracks. I couldn't see a thing outside the flashlight beam. The sun had well and truly set. That thin beam darted across my surroundings as I tried to search out the source of that sound. It was barely audible, but unmistakable, the sound of a pointed edge moving across wood. Someone, I deduced, was still carving messages in the trees. Hello? I called out, focusing my beam on a clearing some distance further into the thick forest. Hey, is someone lost out there? The noise ceased almost immediately, followed closely by complete chilling silence from the crickets and cicadas. All at once I found myself feeling nearly blind and deaf. Polly? I called out, walking slowly toward the clearing. May? Mrs. Uh, Linda? No response. As I reached the clearing, I heard the crunch of dry brown grass beneath my shoes. Dread filled the pit of my stomach as I questioned whether I had actually heard the scraping of the wood or the sound of something walking across the dead grass. The flashlight caught another glimmering object at the center of the clearing. Careful to periodically check my surroundings, I approached the thing and lifted it from the dirt. It was a silver crucifix on a chain, tarnished and dotted with the same sap I'd seen before. Weird. I whispered. Weird. All at once, I felt a cold sting at the back of my throat. My muscles seized and the crucifix dropped from the quickly retracting hand. Someone else, someone close, had mimicked me in the same whispered tone. Weird. Again, the whisper hissed from the darkness around me. I whirled in place, spinning with an off-kilter unsteadiness that made the whole clearing seem like it was rotating as opposed to my body. All around me, forming a perfect circle, the flashlight illuminated a cluster of dark, segmented poles. It was as if I'd been surrounded by firmly planted bamboo rods while my attention had been misplaced. What the fuck? I screamed out. Part of, part of me really wanted you to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> One more time for me. What the fuck? Stopping suddenly, nearly falling on my face, I focused the beam of light on one pole, slowly following it upward. Up, up, up to the top, to the black, featureless orb that connected each of the twelve rods. The twelve legs. What the fuck? The orb screamed in a bone-chilling voice of an unearthly thing, something never meant to utter the words of man. What? It shouted again as I, as I darted between its legs, not entirely sure if I was heading in the right direction. What the- It screamed, whispered, 
Weird. Immediately after. What the? Weird. The? Weird. What? Before I escaped the clearing and hurtled back into the thorns and broken branches, my light caught more carvings on the trees encircling the area. Each tree had been carved with one giant letter, higher than any man could reach. Though there were hundreds of carvings, the letters all lined up in the same way. Harvest. I ran. I fell. I bled. I let none of it slow my progress, and I never turned to see if the thing was following. I wouldn't have stopped until I reached the lake, if not for the gleam of something lying in the pine needles about halfway back. A rusted knife. Green handle. Carved into the tree above, a message coated over in fresh rolling beads of sap. The woods are black and I can't turn back. We searched for hours that night. Then we searched for days afterward. Mom and Dad were worried sick and both of them called out for Sis until they were hoarse. It turned out Sis wasn't the first to disappear near the lake. In fact, the family that had been there before us weren't even close to the first. Many people in the general area would get lost over the years, only to eventually be rescued. It was normal enough for locals to write off any disappearance as normal human stupidity. The fear within me was so great that I couldn't go back to that clearing. I couldn't direct my parents back to that place. I told them Sis had disappeared somewhere else entirely. This is my confession. I've let the terror of that experience rule my life. Every day I didn't correct the lie was another day I gave my only sibling over to an unknowable, unspeakable fate. This decision destroyed my family. It wasn't long before my mom drove out to the lake on her own. Sure, the police must have missed something. She didn't tell anyone she was going, and by the time Dad and I traveled out there, she was nowhere to be found. The only way I knew where she'd be was the note absently dropped on the kitchen floor. The woods are black, and I can't turn back. I'd never told either of them about that message. I'd been with them throughout the entire search, and I was sure they hadn't seen it. Dad never gave up. I wouldn't have expected him to. The woods took his girl away from him, and he was never one to let anyone or anything get the best of him. On the second anniversary of Sis's disappearance, he went out to put a wreath by the lake. I would have gone with him, but by that point I was staying with an aunt. The two of us weren't on the best of terms due to Dad's obsession and my overwhelming hidden guilt. He called us that morning when I'd been dragged to church and he left a message on the, on the machine. He didn't say hello, didn't ask how I was, and didn't tell us how he was doing. The woods are black, and I can't turn back. I've been alone ever since. Extended family aside, of course, my family is missing, and I guess from what I've seen, I can only assume they're dead. I spend most every night awake, unable to stop thinking about what it would mean if they aren't. What's worse, all of it, all of it, is my fault. I don't know why I felt the need to get all of this off of my chest, nor why I've chosen this of all things as my way of doing it. All I know, at this point, is I feel as the woods are black and I can't turn back. Oh, he's gonna go they got him. He's going. They fucking got him. They fucking got him. They fucking got him. Oh shit! How'd you feel about that one? Ah, uh, great. Was it too spooky? Uh, it was almost too spooky. Well read, by the way. That's obviously it's a fun one to read. It's good. You enjoyed reading. You that. needed you needed the impersonation skills and you got them. So 
Oh, I would. Yeah. <laughs> you think I'm, what I'm, the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> fuck? Fuck? Weird. Weird. It's so, Weird. so great if the robot just starts saying fuck. Like, they have him say everything else. Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> fuck! 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 Wouldn't that be something? Uh, Ooh, this is, this is, this is weird. Weird good, weird bad? It's weird. Okay. Alright. Cool. I think it's the cucumber. That's it. That's very interesting. A cucumber cider. Uh, we got, we got one more story and then we got like eight pages of search and rescue. Okay. Uh, this story is just as long as the first one you read. So in this one, I'll have to change it again. I, I didn't know you were colorblind. I'm sorry. I'll change the red to blue. So fucking okay. rude. I might just like an hour ago. It's weird. It doesn't like happen a lot, but red text is like one of the things that no, I No, that's, that's fine. It's weird. Just red looks the same as black on a white background. Yeah. When it's thin stuff. It's, it's like a big yeah, because, blob, because it's that, it's that negative... Yeah. It's the absence of color because your eye is most likely correcting it to like a brown, like a dark, a really dark brown. It's a, it's like a search and rescue story, which is why we're reading it last before the search and rescue stories. Okay. This one's basically, basically someone who read search and rescue mm-hmm. wrote like a long one. Okay. I, it's probably not the same author. It has nothing to do with stairs, but this is called Park Ranger warning you to stay safe and to leave your flashlight at home. This is from Reddit No Sleep. It might be connected to the rest of the series. It might have been like a final piece that they chose to write, but it has nothing to do with the rest. And, and it reminds me a little bit more of um, Confessions of a Deep Sea Diver. Okay. I've been a national park ranger for close to two decades. Protocols have changed a lot in that time. I write this just to keep people safe for the next time you venture to the big outdoors. Let me tell you about the last park I worked. I can't be too specific about the location for my job's sake. Anyway, we had clusters of campsites that we rotated annually. The idea was to prevent one group from getting overused and worn down, let nature regrow a little bit. The winter had just passed and our big summer season was a few months away. I'm sent out to check the suitability of the campsites to decide which ones need time to recover and which ones we can open up. Winters here are cold. Not too many people camp during the winter aside from rugged masochists and boy scout troops led by people who believe they are rugged masochists. I didn't expect to find much out of the ordinary. First site was clear, ready to go. As I'm trekking to the next site, I see what looks like some debris and junk down a ways in a river valley. Looks like some jackasses set up an unauthorized camp down there. Usually when that happens, they leave garbage and smoldering fires. This is going to be a pain to clear up. I approach, seeing the telltale wreckage of what must have been one hell of a party. Shit scattered everywhere, and skeletons of tents still raised up, and blood. I stop, and time stops with me. Pools of blood are spread out along the ground, next to signs of something heavy being dragged into the brush. I pull my radio off my belt, and pause. I then pull my Glock 22 out of my holster and rack one round. I'm a certified law enforcement officer, but I haven't had to use my gun in a long time. I quickly look around for any movement, then I get on my radio and call in for backup. While I wait, I listen. Silence. Silence in nature isn't good. Prey get quiet when they sense a predator. I hope all the birds are being still on my account. I edge forward slowly, looking for anyone or anything. A shredded plastic cooler, a tent that has been annihilated with more blood splashing the walls and inside. People die here, I know it. You can't lose that much blood and just walk off. But no people. 
Shreds of clothes and a little viscera drawing all the goddamn flies here, but no people. I've seen bears rummage through camps and destroy anything that looked edible. There are wild hogs out here that cut trails through the deep brush and are even more dangerous than bears. But this isn't either of them. The devastation here is just too much. Some scourge of God came through here and just ripped everything to pieces. Finally, backup arrives, and I'm sent to report to HQ. They even brought medics out here. I don't know why, there's no one here to save. One of the new recruits vomits at the seam. I'm glad to get the hell out of there. I get back and HQ is a buzz. Only four people work here, but calls are ringing, printers printing, and the air feels electrified. My manager sees me and signals me to his office. He's pale, ashen-looking, with bloodshot eyes. I sit by his desk, and he goes to the door and locks it. I've never seen him lock that door. He asks me what I saw. I tell him, uninterrupted. He looks even paler afterwards, and his hands tremble a bit. There's a very long pause, and I expect more questions. He doesn't ask any. I leave, then hear the door lock behind me. After a few minutes, I hear him call someone up, and a little long conversation ensues. I never see him again. Word comes down from on high. We're assigned a new manager, one who excels at what he calls... Crises. <laughs> Crises. <laughs> Out of the blue. <laughs> I, had, I had to give it to you. I thought it was... I thought, like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna nail the first tone of who you want this manager to be... <laughs> You have to say it with the word crises. There you go. His first order of business, a controlled burn of the unauthorized camp and the sites closest to it. I'm not arguing. I watch the smoke rise in the distance and pray that's the end of it. New orders. Relocate the existing campsites closer to HQ. Before we do that, we stake out a few trail cameras at the new locations just to make sure it's not in the middle of a nesting ground. We put up a few cameras pointing at the hog trails through the brush for good measure. A couple days pass and we go out to collect the footage. The new manager takes it all and starts studying it in his office. A couple hours into interviewing, he freaks out. Starts screaming and yelling, gets on the phone, calling up the line, spitting more obscenities. He spends the rest of the day and that night in the office, calling up specialists and planners. Next morning I show up for a meeting. Manager doesn't look like he slept. Massive changes afoot. He lays out our new plans, including massively bright lampposts circling the park border, as well as floodlights around the ranger station. Campsites need to be moved even closer in. Clear lines of sight from the light, if possible. I butt in, telling him that that defeats the point of going camping. If you're just going on a short walk through the grass and setting up so close you can see the parking lot. He tells me to shut up, that it's just the start. The park now closes at sundown, sharp. Also, we're now required to have our long gun on our person at all times. Now, it isn't uncommon for rangers to carry an AR-15 or a Remington 870 shotgun going out into the deep woods. There are wild and rabid animals out there. The real concern are massive pot growers. Those aren't your chill neighbor who hides a few plants behind the tomatoes. They run the spectrum from large-scale suppliers who like their privacy and dislike law enforcement to anti-government crazies who think that we have no right over them, the true patriots. Both groups have a few common points. They tend to be well-armed, they do not like lawmen, and they won't shy away from taking a pot shot at some dumb ranger who finds himself in their fields. Keep in mind, Elliot Ness, Mr. I Fought Al Capone 1, got scared off busting up Appalachian moonshiners because they constantly sighted him in the foothills. They shoot to kill. Those are the reasons we keep the big guns around. Not routine patrols. I drew the short straw and got the overnight shift. Manager tells me more changes to protocol would be listed when I return. Overnights used to be easy. Monitor the radios, bust up the parties if needed, check for poachers if they're operating nearby, make sure the for forest doesn't burn down. <clears throat> I clock in and per instructions, go to the gun cage. My things have changed. 
Our shotguns have new rifled barrels, so they can handle the solid slugs we've been issued. That's the kind of firepower you want to take down a charging bear, God forbid you ever need it. The AR-15s have been stepped up too. The old 15 round magazines have been replaced by 30 round ones. Someone even snuck us in hollow point rounds. It makes no damn sense. Shooting in the woods, you need full metal jacket ammo so the rounds don't go wild when they touch a twig. Hollow points just exist to do more tissue damage. This is ridiculous. This is overkill. We're not a war zone. We don't need this firepower. Next to the radio, there are new instructions. Now we're not allowed to directly respond to emergency calls. We can reply, figure out what the issue is, and then we report it to a new phone number I don't recognize. Time passes slowly tonight. I'm not even allowed to leave the building until sunup. A few uneventful nights pass. The new floodlights and lampposts are frying my eyes. It's so bright out there a blind man can see. A week later, some kids roll into the lot. They grab their backpacks and start hiking up the ridge. I know what they're up to. No one has booked a campsite that night. Cheap young ones going on a camp out that would be a raging party. I wait for the sun to go down, confirming they're not out for a day hike. I call my manager to report. He instructs me to call the new number. I report it to them now. A curt voice answers the phone. He asks my park, then pauses. He asks the issue. A bunch of kids on an unauthorized site. Do I go break it up? I can see their campfire out on the ridge right now. No. Do not leave the building. Do not attempt communication. That is all. Report if there are any developments. Right after daybreak, the manager rides up. It's real early. Have you seen them? Did they leave? No, the car's still there. Let them rest, they're probably all hungover. He curses nonstop. He then goes inside to make a call. I'm outside looking up the ridge when he exits the station. One AR-15 in his hand, another one strapped across his back, Glock on his hip. He marches single-mindedly towards his car. I try to ask him what in God's name he's doing, but he isn't listening or responding. He takes a jerry can of gasoline from his car and marches up the ridge. I yell after him to no reply. I consider following him, but that doesn't seem like a good idea. I go back inside and call the number. The same curt voice, the same direct questions. Yeah, the manager went up to that campsite, armed to the teeth and carrying gasoline. What the fuck do I do? Stay there. Do not interfere. Backup is inbound. Report if there are any developments. About the same time, I start to see smoke wafting off the ridge. Two vans ride in the lot at a screaming speed. A dozen men, heavily armed and armored, exit quickly. I go out to check. Who are you guys? What's going on? The men are all lined up with an impeccable military precision. One of them, a commander, I assume, exits the vehicle last. He says, Which direction did he go? I mean, he's up there. I point at the increasing smoke. The men fan out and start jogging up the ridge. I hear rifles cocking as they leave. I try to shout after them, but no response. I look at the vans they cave in. Large, nondescript. They just say, DOI response team on the side. Half an hour later, they return, dragging the manager with him. He is bound in zip ties. He screams, I did what needed to be done. Trust me. It's worse than they thought. We can't stop this. Burn it all. They throw him in the back and sedate him. The commander approaches me, my neck hairs bristle in cold fear. I need to see the office. All computers and anything with a hard drive is coming with me. He mentioned videotapes. I need those too. I unlock the doors and they ransack the place. Everything gets taken. Printed reports from the last few years disappear in those vans. The videotapes get bagged up and held by the commander himself. He studies the gun cage. Q. You're out of your league. He scoffs. <laughs> Finally, they find everything they look for. The commander tells me, Call the number. Tell them it's contained. You need a new superior. Also, don't talk about this to anyone. They leave. 
and just on cue, the fire brigade and a few news vans show up. The fire is contained, the news reports say. Rumors of missing campers are unsubstantiated at this time. Still, the rumors alone are enough to scare off the season's campers. The quick changeup of managers is tracked down to bureaucracy. The press dies down after a week or two. The new manager is very good at dealing with them. Thankfully, with no new campers and our now even shorter open hours, we can get more work done around here. Rebuilding the station took some time and we just set up the new campsites. They're practically spitting distance from the station. Nothing dramatic happens for a few days. Then on a whim, the manager tells us to set up some cameras around the station and the campsites. There's usually so much human activity around here, I'll use here some raccoons, maybe the rare hungry bear, but we humor them and set them up all around. A couple of days pass, we collect the footage. I play poker with one of the rookies while the manager watches hours of footage on an empty but brilliantly illuminated parking lot. Then he gets to the footage around the station. Screams come from the office. We barge in and he's stamping on the camera hard drives, gibbering things I can't understand. Along the lines of, Told me it was clean! Safe! No recent activity! Bullshit here, I'm not gonna do it. He barks at us to leave. Later he makes a call. Rookie goes out the door and listens in. Rookie comes back reporting, Yeah, he's demanding a transfer. Says they lied to him. Something about they didn't do their jobs properly. He's not prepared or equipped here. Then I just heard the phone click and some sobbing. Hours later, my manager exits the office. His shoulders are slumped, defeated. We cut our hours even further, practically open on weekends only. We'll have a full staff ready those days, but a skeleton crew the rest of the time. Campers are required to check in to one of the closest sites. No campsite and they're told to leave. We are not authorized to leave the station after dark under any circumstances. In an emergency, do not call 911, call the number, and do exactly what they say. We draw straws for who gets overnight shifts. Why do we need to stay overnight if we can't do anything is beyond me. I asked the manager about it and he just said that standard protocol is to have someone on hand to report any irregularities overnight. I have to work my overnight shift. I keep my phone close, the number dialed in, ready if I need to call. It's a bad night. I just wind up pacing around with my shotgun, glancing into the bright floodlights, trying to see what's past them. I hear crickets and it relaxes me. Prey is quiet when predators are around. It is a long night. The next night my manager draws a short straw. He seems resigned. In the end, we all have to take a turn. He brings the brightest damn tactical flashlight I've ever seen. Said he bought it just because he's afraid of the dark. He isn't really. He's afraid of the things in the dark. I get a phone call at 3 a.m. It's him. Get over here now and bring guns! What? You have a damn arsenal. Now! I swear to God I fucked up. Oh man, I think they're attracted to the light. I called that number and all they said was backup would be here in the morning. Oh fuck, fuck, goddamn. I hear the piercing staccato of gunshots, a pause, more gunshots, screaming, scuffling, the line goes dead. I called the number. I knew terse voice answers. Look, I work at a park. I just got off the phone with I just spoke with What can you report? Something bad happened. It's serious, I heard gunshots. We'll have backup there as soon as possible. Did he say anything else? Yeah, he said they thought they were attracted to the light. Didn't make any sense to me. Interesting. Thank you for your report. The park is now closed. You will be reassigned. Goodbye. Click. Officially, the park was closed to be scheduled for a controlled burn. Let the old trees die and make new room for the new ones. There was nothing in the official report about what happened to the manager on duty. The public understanding was bureaucracies need to be shaken up on occasion. 
no one needed to ask any more questions. I get transferred to a new park halfway across the country. Change of scenery and beautiful. They've got some odd rules here too. Don't go far after dark and don't carry a flashlight. I'm concerned about why. Why can't you use a flashlight at night when you need one? They won't tell me. Be safe, everyone. Oh, because they they're attracted out. to the light. They fucking got out! <laughs> yeah, they're attracted to the light. I like that the latest manager was it. He was fired from Jamba Juice. <laughs> they were like, do you want to work for the government in this park? Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. I liked all of our stereotypical voice. Like... <laughs> The people we chose to go to, like you played, you played almost like a frazzled police chief. Yeah, and then, getting too old for this shit. And then you played like a uh, like a drunk IT worker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, this is it. This is this is the end of it. This is the last thing we're gonna read on this episode. And Fuck. You all know what it is. I think before before I get in there, I'm just gonna. <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna say I'm gonna say what needs to be said, and I feel like we don't say it enough. Um, but if you've been listening to this, I hope you've been stoned. You know, I hope you got Whoa. I hope you got that Jamba Juice. Yeah, and I hope you got some <laughs> Jamba Jamaican basil, and uh, I hope you uh, you had a you had a good listen here on lots of pasta with the uh, Cam Death Django Phillips strawberry shortcake. We're uh, we're gonna read these search and rescue stories for the uh, for the last time. Nice. Um, I do have an ending conversation. Don't let me don't let me forget. Okay. It is important after we read this, but um, this is the last thing we're gonna read. It's nice and quick. Starting the search and rescue stories from the U.S. Forest Service. We were having dinner in town, five of us including myself. This guy who was repainting an information booth, and he heard a man asking for directions to the nearest campsite. He didn't turn around because he was up on a ladder, but he informed the man there weren't any campsites nearby, but if that he headed down the road... Oh! <laughs> yes! Oh, shit! There was another oh. one. I'm taking, I'm taking another hit. Because Roads! We, we got another road. Oh. One more for the road. Oh, I was so close, and then I crested the hill. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Great. Great. I'm glad this could... He didn't turn around because it was up on a ladder, but he informed the man that there weren't any campsites nearby, but it, that if he headed down the street, the Strasse, about four miles, he'd find another one in another park. He asked if he could be of any other help, but the man said no and thanked him. My friend said he kept painting, but he was listening, and he never heard the man leave. The second he came up and talked to me, the hairs on my neck stood up, but I wasn't sure why. I just had this really uneasy feeling about the whole thing, and I wanted to finish painting and get out of there. I figured maybe part of it was that I couldn't turn around to look at him, but something just fell off. There was also this weird smell floating around, even before the guy talked to me, kind of like old period blood. I had looked around to see what was causing it, but I didn't find anything, so I waited for the guy to walk away, but I didn't hear him leave, which made me think he was standing there and watching me, so I asked again if I could do anything for him, and he didn't answer. I knew he was there, though, because I hadn't heard him leave, so I did this awkward turn on my ladder to look down and see what he was doing. Now I admit, it could have just been my brain fucking up. But I swear to you, Russ, for a split second when I turned around, that fucker didn't have a face. Like he had no face. 
It was almost concave and totally smooth, and I just about had a fucking heart attack because I couldn't even wrap my brain around what I was seeing. I think I started to say something, but there was this kind of pop inside my head, and suddenly he was just a normal-looking guy. I must have looked weird because he asked me if I was okay, and I was just like, yeah, I'm fine. He asks about the campsite again, and I point to where he has to go, and he's like, I'm not from around here, can you help me get there? Now, this is when I know something is really up, because there's no way this guy got out here and didn't know where he was. And for that matter, there's no car around, so how'd he get here in the first place? I said I was sorry, but that I couldn't take him anywhere in a company vehicle, and he's like, please? I really don't know where I am, can you come with me and help me get there? So now I'm seriously weirded out, and I start wondering if this is some kind of ambush or whatever. I told him I could call him a taxi to come out and take him where he wants to go, and I pull out my phone and he just goes, no, and walks away really quickly. But he doesn't walk out of the park, he just walks back into the fucking trees, and I got right into my fucking truck and start to get the f <laughs> and start to get out of there. Fuck the pain or whatever. Uh -huh. I looked in my mirror. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. I looked in my mirror to see where he was as I was leaving, and he was standing right at the tree line again. I don't know how he got there so fast, but this time I know the fucker didn't have a face. He was just there watching me leave, and right before I turned the corner, he took a big step back into the trees and kind of dissolved, I guess. Maybe it was just dark, so he blended in, but it felt more like he just melted away. Uh-huh, I see. Interestingly, right after this guy finished his story, someone else piped up with another one, but with a slightly different twist. You know, actually, I had something sort of weird like that happen once a while back. I was out doing some trail scouting. And I was out in the middle of nowhere, figuring out where we were going to have this trail run through. I hadn't seen anyone else for probably a good two hours, so I wasn't really paying attention to where I was going. I was just looking at the ground for the most part. Then out of nowhere, I crested this little hill and almost ran into this guy. He was older, probably in his 60s, and I started to apologize to him for running into him. And then I noticed his face. And I probably looked like a complete douchebag, because I stopped and just stared at him. It took me a second to figure out what was wrong, but this guy's face was huge. I know that sounds weird, but that's the only way I can describe it. So his, like head, his head was big? His head wasn't big or anything. Oh. It was normal, but the amount of space his face took up was just way too much. Like if you took someone's face and enlarged it by about two times, he doesn't say anything, he just kind of looks at me and I back up and was kind of stuttering and saying I was sorry. And I went around him and fucking got out of there and did what I needed to do. The whole time, I kept looking behind me because I was so freaked out that he'd pop up behind me or something. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I swear to you, it was one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. I think I would be more scared about the guy with the big face. The huge the, face? The zoomed in face? Than the, than the no face. He just got a big face. face. Regular head, big face. I don't, I don't even get like, is it coming off of his face? It makes like... me think of like um, the original. What are they? They're not like pygmies. They're not. Um, there's like a mythical creature where it's just all head and like gangly limbs that just like legs coming out of a, a head. Is it like a homunculus or something? Um, oh yeah, 
Yeah. Is that it? Oh, yeah. That would be terrifying to see in person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be fucking terrifying. Yeah, like right. a giant fucking face. Yeah. Um, Just a big face. Anyway. I switched the topic to the stairs a little later, and there was stairs. a definite shift in enthusiasm. No one spoke up at first. There's a real stigma around discussing them, even when we were away from work. But I broke the ice with a story of my own, and the guy who told the story about the faceless man told us this one, albeit very quietly. A couple years ago, I was camping with my girlfriend, and we were about two miles <laughs> from the path. Uh. <laughs> from the road. Yeah! At this site, I know. We went to bed that night, but we couldn't sleep because... Because you, you guys were fucking... <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Someone interjected a funny comment, and we were dangerously close to talking about roads, but I got us back on track. Back on... Back, back on, on the road. road. Back on the road. <laughs> yeah. Really funny, you fucker. <laughs> no. It was because we kept hearing that grinding noise. My brother used to grind his teeth in his sleep, and it kind of reminds me of that. My girlfriend was freaking out, but I just keep telling her to ignore it, because I've heard it before, and you just have to ignore it. It goes away eventually, and you guys know what I mean. We all knew what he meant. So eventually, I got her to go to sleep, but I woke up probably two hours later because something was just off. I rolled over, and she wasn't there, and I kind of freaked out because... He thought for a second... And he took a very long drink. It was very long. That was too long. <laughs> I don't know if that was very long. It was anyway, just long. I ran out of the tent calling her name, but I didn't have to go too far. She was standing at the edge of the camp, looking at something in the trees, and I could see she was really pale. The fire was low, but bright enough to see her. Anyway, so I ran up to see what was going on, and she was dead asleep, but her eyes were open. She had this real spaced out look, you know, so I put my arm around her to lead her back, but she wouldn't move. She just said really quietly something like, I have to go now, Eddie. I have to go. It's here. And I was like, you're just sleepwalking, come back to bed. But she wouldn't budge. She just kept standing there and saying that she had to go. And I looked where she was looking. And there was a fucking staircase right there, about 15 yards away. Gray one, concrete. And she starts to walk toward it, but I yanked her back and that woke her up. She looked at me like I was fucking out of my mind, and she asked what the fuck she was doing out of her tent, and I, I didn't tell her anything. I just told her she was sleepwalking. The grinding was gone, so she just went back to the tent with me and fell asleep again. I don't know. I don't like thinking about it, you know? We all do. You guys remember that kid with... I can't remember what it was. Some kind of brain fuck-up? Not downs, but something like it. Someone else brought it up. Retard. <laughs> That's actually the word we use in the episode shit. <laughs> it wasn't a good moment for us. There's this part, there's this part, it's not out yet. It's two up, it's like two weeks from now, it's episode 55. There's a story about like a, a kid with like Asperger's who like falls into a fucking ditch. 
and you and I are just like, yeah, the retard fell in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, shit. That doesn't sound nice at all. I'm, a, I'm even going to go back and scrub that one because that wasn't funny at all. <clears throat> someone else brought it up. Well, I got to read the... No, re- someone's got to say what it is. I don't, someone's just got to give something. Suppose I'm kind of brain fucked up. Tourette's? Someone else brought it up. AIDS. AIDS <laughs> <laughs> really fucking. Fuck AIDS is like Down syndrome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you think about in, it. In the way that it's at, at all nothing alike. Yeah. <laughs> in the way that it both happens to humans. In the way that it both kills people. Yeah, man. Wait, does Oh, absolutely. Oh, they, really? they don't have long lifespans at all. Oh. Absolutely. sucks. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, I got So, to... what were we going with? AIDS? For someone brought it up? <laughs> no, if you could just. You could just continue reading. Okay. <laughs> someone else brought it up. <laughs> Tuberculosis! <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> Just ignore it. It's not even a part. So why did you do this? Some, someone really else, threw me off. Someone else brought it up. All right. Are you gonna say all right? That's gonna be the answer. <laughs> Hold on. Focus. These are two different people. I gotta That's get all that this sentence is saying. <laughs> I gotta get back into character. Start from not downs, but something like it. No. no start, start from well. And then we'll roll it in. I won't say anything. I, I won't say a douchey comment. Start from well. We'll get it going. Some kind of brain fuck up. Not downs, but something like it. Someone else brought it up. Well, I got to read the report he gave when they found him. <laughs> Jerking off. What? You can keep going. <laughs> you jerk off. I keep going. Well, I got to read the report he gave when they found him in a week after he was missing, and it was fucked up beyond belief. I mean, you have to take it with a grain of salt, because who knows what that kid actually thinks is real, but some of this stuff, I don't think you could have made up. Like what? Well, first of all, he talked about the stairs. He said he'd been watching his dad build a fire, and the stairs came up to him, and that he was, and he had to go up to them or something bad would happen. The cops couldn't really understand what he was talking about after that, because he just kept saying, like the campfire, over and over. And he kept mentioning sounds, but he couldn't say what sounds. Just that it was loud, and he covered his ears so he couldn't hear them. But the thing I remember most is that they asked him where exactly he'd gone, and he just said he was right there. He kept pointing at himself, and said that they thought that meant that he thought he never left. He said he wasn't scared because the stairs were there, and he said they had talked to him, but not like people talk. Like I said, it was really convoluted and hard to understand, and I have a feeling the cops didn't take most of it down. They ended up just saying that the kid had some kind of amnesia or fugue, and they didn't think foul play was involved. Doesn't really explain why he came back a week later perfectly fine without a speck of dirt on him and well fed. But hey, what the cops say goes. Does it though? I mean, it federal government, sure. One man in particular goes to every news station he thinks will listen to him, and he tells the same story. He was deer hunting, and camped out in a very remote area, and he woke up because something was scraping against his tent. He thought it was a raccoon or a fox, until the thing pressed its face against the door of the tent, 
at which point he could very clearly make out a human nose and mouth. He kicked at it, but it leaped back and was gone by the time he opened the tent flap, gun in his side. He fired two warning shots, and when the sound faded, he heard a snap behind him. The man was standing at the edge of the campsite. The man was not wearing any clothing, but he also didn't possess any kind of human flesh. As this hunter described it, the man was made of some kind of amalgamation of raw meat and hair, as if someone had scooped up roadkill and molded it onto the vague shape of a man. The face was lumpy and only a rough approximation of a human face. The thing opened its lopsided mouth, and from it came the sound of the gun the hunter had fired. It did this twice, before mimicking the sound of the tent zipper and fleeing into the night. I feel like that goes back to the first episode. There's that. The, the, in episode four, the first time we read search and rescue stories, <clears throat> there's like something in the woods that continues to echo like noises around them, like bugs, but amplified. And then like sentences they were saying, but amplified. Yeah. Parts of me thinks that that could have been that monster. Yeah. The tent zipper thing. Yeah. The tent zipper monster. But just imagining like a ground beef face, like just going, pow, pow. Like shotgun noises is it twice. Like, is it like South Park animation? Like is it the whole yeah. It's head? like the Canada. It's, it's like the Canada. It's like the Canada. Terrence. Pow, Phillip, buddy. Yeah. Pow, guy. Yeah, like that's exactly what I imagined. I'm not your guy. Pow. I'm not your buddy. I'm not your guy. Pow. I'm not your buddy, friend. A young couple, out for a hike in the rocky areas of my park, reported to me yesterday that they had seen something strange out on a peak I'm very familiar with. They were taking turns looking through a pair of binoculars when the man noticed a hiker climbing up a very steep part of the cliff face. He watched the man scale the slope, and it didn't occur to him until the incident was over that this person had no climbing gear. When the climber reached the top of this peak, which was about five miles away, they turned and faced the young man. He said whoever, or whatever this person was, was looking right at them. The climber waved in an exaggerated manner, before snapping in half at the waist, sideways, and leaping off the peak. The young man didn't see where the climber landed. I sent them on their way with assurances that I'd check it out. I lied. I won't be turning in a report, because there are ten others exactly like it. The climber is well known in that area. I don't question it anymore. There's so many things I won't ever be able to understand about my job, and it would take me years to relate all of the things I've heard in the last few months. When I feel like my job isn't in jeopardy, I will come back. It may be in a different format, but I will come back. Thank you all for sticking by my side and enjoying the things I've talked about. If you go out into the woods, I encourage you to be safe. Bring water, food, survival equipment. Let people know where you're going and when you'll be back. Don't go on uncharted paths unless you know exactly what you're doing. And above all, don't, don't touch, touch them. them. Don't, don't look, look at, at them. them. Don't, don't go, go up them. them. Cool. And that's it. Wow. That's it, folks. That's, that's like it. the end of an era. The end of a stera. <laughs> I like... <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That was good. <laughs> I was really happy with that. I like the uh I like 
the stories I like Sharks and Rescue. I think the, especially with the last one, and with a few of those occasionally, uh, the writer had a dartboard oh. in his room <laughs> with all the scary ideas, and he was just picking, throwing darts, faces, yeah. faces, <laughs> absolutely, didn't have climber, ten of them, oh. Fuck. and most of them were just like. Retarded kid. Retarded kid. <laughs> Retarded Stairs. 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 Meat man. Young boy. F- furry man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It feels it feels like we uh feels scarfing like, up. It feels like a last call. It feels like I'm gonna have to find something up for uh, for us to read. <laughs> something else. Yeah. We've read them on so many episodes. Um it's it's the only like series I'd say we've we've long scale done but I it was it was really cool yeah um, how'd you feel uh, about search and rescue stories on a, on a whole I don't know I feel you know yeah I, I feel uh, I didn't love them <laughs> you didn't love them <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't I didn't think all of them were that great yeah yeah but there were stairs I do like that I like stairs yeah I don't know any other creepypastas that have stairs <laughs> well <laughs> A lot of them have stairs, but they're also in different, in stair context. Uh, stairs are like vertical roads. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's what my that's what my, my grandfather said to me. From what little you've read of the Search and Rescue stories, what's, what's your impression? Quality of writing? Level of spook? The spook was there. I think having, there's this tone with them. That once they have their established mm-hmm. motifs of, like, the faces and all the dartboard stuff you were talking about. <laughs> like, that sort of keeps them all tonally focused. Mm-hmm. That they're all going to have the same sort of feel to them. If they've all got the same settings and characters and stuff. And that Park Ranger one we read before going into the actual Search and Rescue ones mm-hmm. was very imitative. Yeah. In its, it was. In its nature. It was. Um, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was just, I, I know I posted it on the Lots of Pasta Facebook, but I didn't actually talk about it on an episode because it wasn't relevant, was um, season two of Channel Zero just ended in October. Season three, uh, they're calling it Butcher's Block. I don't, season two was No End House, season one was Candle Cove, season three is called Butcher's Block, but the thing about it is apparently it's going to be loosely based off of the search and rescue stories. Right. The director of the series mentioned stairs and the fact that he is talking with the the published author mm-hmm. of the search and rescue stories about adapting so that they could do a like a six to eight episode season based on some of those first hand accounts. Right. But yeah, I think uh, we'll. Uh, We'll see how that goes. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to talk about it if we if we make it next Halloween. Yeah, I agree. I I gotta catch up. But with anyway, Zero. yeah, I, anyway. I mean, <laughs> Candle Cove, really great, yeah. and No End House had a very a great ending, and and a solid fucking beginning. It's just it's constantly unsettling. It's very quiet. It's the quietest horror thing I've watched in mm. a long time, and I love that. I love when they maintain the atmosphere, and it's just, it's just real. It just yeah. feels realer. Sweet. Um, Candle Cove was the same way, though. Candle Cove nailed the aesthetic. They, the, those, um, 
like mariachi puppets mm-hmm. like fucking nailed them yeah to to the exact details of the story like really great stuff i really hope that like people listening to this like take it as a recommendation it's it's some of the better tv we've gotten in a long time and it's just on sci-fi sci-fi channel um every september to october cool but yeah uh we read some some stories here i would like to think that they were spoopy they were I don't like the forests very much. I like camping because I like to do drugs recreationally with my friends outside. You like to get drunk I like, out in the woods and like burn shit on, on a fire. Yeah, I like the woods a lot. You even like, without drunk. I've seen you yeah. pull out a guitar on yeah. fire and just yeah. start... Kumbaya. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, here's Wonderwall. I hate the goddamn woods. Yeah. yeah. So we... um. There's no the roads. Woods, the woods are... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. The, wo- the woods are still scary. There aren't many roads. No. Man. Man, that reminds me of a story. I was uh, I was in high school. I was... I, I got my first GPS system. And it was a piece of shit. It was the slowest piece of shit ever. And my first drive up to my, my, my dad and my new stepmom's house. Up in, uh, up in Bucks County. Which... Just so you guys know, woods. There's lots of woods. Yeah, I like the woods. I'm looking at this map, and I'm following the roads. Yeah. And the road, there's one road that takes me off the main roads oh. and into a fucking forest. Yeah. It fucking road. ends. Yeah. There are no houses. I'm looking at a seven-foot drop. I get out of my fucking car, and I look down, and I'm staring at a fucking pit in the middle of the forest, and I'm like, why is this road here? Yeah. All roads are good roads, if you're really a road fan like me. That road would have killed me if I maintained my speed. The road was being a road. You're the one that maintained your speed on it. So I I had to back up (laughs) the entire, like, eight minutes. You couldn't even turn around? Absolutely not. It was tight corridor woods. Stephen King has a story very much like that. Yeah. There's a fucking road. It peters out. They keep going. They go into a town. Turns out all the people in rock and roll who have ever died are there. Elvis is the sheriff. Jimi Hendrix is like the mayor. And then they play a concert. They have to stay there forever. You said Stephen King did cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are I don't cocaine. believe there are allegations. Oh, the cocaine and Mary Jane. I hope everyone had a good time. Uh, and you know, as as he says, uh, you in the forest, you see some stairs. Don't uh, don't feed him after midnight. Okay, signing off. Boop.